Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 119 of the Thick Boot Camp podcast. The title of today's interview is The Absurd Disease, an interview with Vicky Novinsky. My name is Richard Johansson. And I'm Matt Sabatello. So, Matt, we named this episode The Absurd Disease because the creative force behind misdiagnosis, Vicky Novinsky, has been able to demonstrate the absurdity behind the whole Lyme disease crisis. And we really found her to be a very, very funny person to interview. And one of the most funny pieces of our discussion with Vicky, and I found it to be funny, I guess, because of my personal experience as a man who is six foot six, is that rather than diagnosing her with Lyme disease, one of her doctors diagnosed her with being a giant. And she's a little person. She's only five foot seven. Yet, rather than diagnose with Lyme disease, her doctors went all the way to the point where they were diagnosing her with suffering from giantism. Rich, what's even more absurd about Vicky's story is that she was sick for decades. Vicky got sick when she was five years old and was misdiagnosed with so many things from allergies to thyroid problems, to Graves' disease, to Hashimoto's disease, to fibromyalgia, lupus, and even an autoimmune disease that only she had. So Matt, I'm really excited to introduce Vicky Novitsky to our Tick Boot Camp community. Hey, Vicky, and welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Glad to be here. Well, we're really, we're really blessed to have you on the podcast. So, Vicki, I understand you're a Brooklyn gal. I am. I am a Brooklyn gal, yes. So, um, Vic, why don't you tell us about when your, um, when your Lyme disease journey began? Well, it, it's a little confusing because I got sick in 2008, but I was sick as a child when I was five. Um, when I was five, I just developed these weird symptoms and thyroid disease, which is auto, autoimmune thyroid disease, which is associated with Lyme. And my parents had a vacation house in Western Massachusetts. And then they took me to an alternative pediatrician because they couldn't get anywhere with the one they were seeing. And he ended up giving me antibiotics and thyroid medicine and allergy shots. I got better. So then in 2008, I got sick again. Um, and I had a back injury. I had herniated discs and it was really painful and they couldn't really figure out why I was so like the amount of pain was disproportionate to the amount of damage. Um, and I was supposed to get back surgery and the surgeon decided they didn't want to do it. And uh, then I started to feel these weird neurological things. Like I was very, very sensitive to vibrations. Like I would feel them going up my spine. So I couldn't ride the subway because it was too much shaking. When, even when I got in an elevator, I would feel like, you know, weird vibrations going through my body. I would feel like I would have to, I had to sit in a car and I had to sit on a pillow behind my back and I had to be in the front seat. And that was the only way I could get anywhere. So Vic, let's, let's walk back. I'm sorry, Vicky. Let's walk back to um, your first possible um, time in your life when you were, uh, exhibiting the symptoms of a thick disease. And so where were you living at the time that these symptoms began to present themselves? You're talking about that. I don't remember the childhood one so much. Are you talking about the later one? No, let's talk about your childhood. So where, where'd you grow up and what was your childhood oh, like? I grew up in Queens. Um, you know, my, when I was very young, my parents had that vacation house in the Berkshires, um, which okay. is a spot. So, but I don't really remember because I was so young, I don't really remember what I had. I mean, I knew I had thyroid disease. I knew I was going to this doctor. I suddenly developed allergies. But then a couple of years after I started seeing that doctor, I got better. So, but it's your sense you probably had a tick disease at that time. Now, looking back, you think you probably had a tick disease. It's possible. Yeah. I'm not sure, but I, I don't, I see, I also visited a lot of Lyme hotspots um before i got sick the second time so it could have been some i could have just gotten thyroid disease for some other reason but i know that it's very associated with lyme disease and i they did have a house in the berkshire so so let's talk let's talk about what you knew about ticks and tick diseases during that stage in your life so you you you're living in queens your parents are taking you to various places including what you now know to be places that are now uh lyme hotspots. did you know anything about ticks and you know anything about uh, lyme disease no no one knew anything about lyme disease so there were no steps that you were taking to protect yourself from Lyme disease? Nope, nothing. Now, do you know if at any time during your childhood, you or your parents ever found a tick biting you? Uh, no, they, they did not. I mean, they didn't check either. So obviously if they don't check, you know, if you don't look for it, you don't find it. But like they didn't, um, nobody checked. 
So you talked about what you were diagnosed with during, during the course of your childhood. How did those symptoms interfere with your capacity to be a normal child? Did you have any social limitations, any academic limitations, or did these symptoms impact your capacity to be a happy kid in any way? Well, at first when I started, I think um, with the thyroid disease, um, that, that causes, that, that also causes brain fog, kind of like Lyme does, right? So I had problems concentrating in, like I could concentrate in subjects I was interested in and I couldn't concentrate in subjects I wasn't interested in. So I don't remember that much of, you know, I, I remember just going to the doctor and getting these shots twice a week. Um, and uh, I remember for a couple, you know, for like a year or two, I was really sick and then I started to get better as a kid. Okay. So and I go to school, I was able to, you know, after, after the treat, whatever treatment he gave me, which I'm still not sure if it was, you know, but it, it seems suspicious now, now that I look back. And you're suspicious because, uh, because of the symptomology and because the cause of antibiotics seem to have cleared up the symptoms that you were suffering. Yes. And so let's fast forward to the second event, which you were just sharing with us, which is uh, when you suffered the back injury um, and all of the symptoms that developed around the back injury. Share with us the, the, where you were in your life at that time. Um, I, was, uh, I was in graduate school. And I had gone, you know, I was studying, I wanted to get a master's in teaching English. And I want, I was getting it at NYU and I wanted to, um, I was doing well. I mean, I, I went on a couple of vacations to um, Lyme hotspots. And, but other than that, I was pretty active. I worked out four times a week. So I thought that I had just injured myself from working out, right? So, so let's talk about these Lyme hotspots. How are you defining a Lyme hotspot and what, Lyme hotspots did you go to in that window of your life? Um, well, I didn't know they were Lyme hotspots at the time, no, but I would just say somewhere where, there's, where it's very prevalent, like Martha's Vineyard. I went to Montauk. I went to, I went, you know, I went upstate. I went, uh, I went to, Maine is not quite so bad, but I did go to Maine. Um, but I walked to a field. I walked to fields in Maine, you know, so I, I, mean, I, walked, I walked through grass. Okay, so now let's let's talk about that, Vicky. So you're you're now a college-educated graduate student. Where where did you do your undergraduate uh, studies? I went to Vassar College. All right, so in the middle of the Hudson Valley and other Lyme hotspots. All right, so now now we have this really smart gal going to a really good school, and she graduates from this really good school, which by the way is in in the middle of a Lyme hotspot. And now you're bouncing around to various places, which you now know to be Lyme hotspots. Now, did this, you know, really smart, highly educated woman know anything about ticks and Lyme diseases and, and Lyme disease? And did you take any steps to protect yourself from coming in contact with ticks or Lyme disease? No one knew. No one said anything. It, the, the Lyme, the state of Lyme education in New York State is, I'm not even going to say it's bad because it doesn't exist. No one talks about it. No one says anything, you know, unless you actually have Lyme disease, in which case you hear a lot about ticks. It just, there's nothing. I, there was nothing at the time that I, anyway, it might be better now, but man, that's not so much better now, actually. It's just. Now, Vicki, I think it's important for us to capture the New essence York, of this. I mean. New York City area, anyway. To our, to our international lis, uh, listeners, uh, they probably don't know how good a school Vassar is, but it's one of the top schools in the country, and you've graduated from the, one of the top schools in the country, yet you know nothing about ticks and Lyme disease, despite um, living in New York State for almost the entirety of your life. Yes, correct. Nothing. So now, um, I, would, I would assume that if there was information publicly available to anybody in New York, someone like you would be capturing some of that right. information and would know to take some steps to protect themselves, right? Exactly. Like the way that, you know, right now there's so much information about COVID and I'm reading it, you know, because I don't want to get COVID. So if there was even a quarter of that information available about Lyme, I think people would be behaving very differently and not being so dismissive. You know, there's just, um, but I've, I've seen doc dismissive doctors, you know, they're running around calling it limes. They have no idea what it is. Like, it's just, you know, they, they don't really, people just are completely unaware. 
and they don't realize. I mean, I didn't even know that the the Lone Star ticks run at you. I you know I, I just knew about uh, ticks being on blades of grass in the Midwest, and that's it. But um, people are just not knowing what's going to hit them. So now let's talk about uh, the symptoms that you're beginning to exhibit, which you now know to be um, your Lyme symptoms. Uh, I'm assuming I'm, I'm assuming a well-educated gal like you uh, would uh, would have access to health insurance and to the top doctors in whatever region you're living in. So are you visiting with doctors? I visited about 30 doctors. Um, what happened is after the back pain started, the neurological stuff started, my arm went numb. Um, I just started, you know, getting a lot of peripheral neuropathy. Um, then what was crazy is my entire face turned red and I started to get hives. So that was when I was started going, I thought I had rosacea. I didn't really know. And I ended up going to an allergic dermatologist and I had patch testing, which takes three days. And they found all these chemicals that I just mysteriously suddenly become allergic to. And then I had food allergy testing and I was like suddenly allergic to like milk, avocados, all these different things. And, um, and then I was just hit with this incredible fatigue. And I remember it just hit me one day. I just couldn't move. And then I got di diagnosed with um, reactivated Epstein-Barr. And I, I didn't remember having Epstein-Barr before. But I understand, like, you know, reactivation of Epstein-Barr is kind of common with Lyme patients. But I was just dead. You know, I was, it, and it took a really a long while for that to, for that to pass. But I... Um, but, uh, the same doctor that I went to that tested me for the Epstein-Barr also tested me for Lyme and, um, I had a CDC positive IgM test and, but the IgG was negative. So she told me I didn't have it. All right. So let's, let's focus on that for a minute. Okay. You're going to all these different doctors, you're showing what are in many cases very classic Lyme disease symptoms. You finally go to a doctor. I actually had a swollen knee. Like I went and I had knee arthritis and I walked into that doctor and I had a positive Lyme test and she ignored it. All right, but let's say with that. So, yeah. so you, go, you go to the doctor. What does she say to you about testing you for Lyme before you take the test? Nothing. She just said, I'll give you a Lyme. You know, I'm going to put it in. I'll do a Lyme test also. And what was your reaction as a person who didn't know a whole lot about Lyme disease when the doctor suggested to you that she wanted to test you for Lyme? I just figured she was testing me for a lot of different things that I could have. So um, I was fine with it. I didn't know anything about Lyme. You know, when she said I didn't have it, I believed her. Um, and is that how the test results were ultimately provided to you? Did she just say to you, you don't have Lyme disease and that's it? Or did she say to you, here's the Lyme disease test you took, here are the results, this is what it means. How was how that interaction between you she and your said, doctor? What she actually said, she said, you have a few little positives, little positives on the Western blot, but I don't think it means anything. And then after she did the Western blot, she ran an ELISA backwards. And the ELISA, of course, was negative because it's, it's worthless. So, you know, so she just decided, okay, Lyme is not the problem. And she just decided, you know, that it was fibro and, and myalgic encephalomyelitis. Okay, so let's talk about that diagnosis of fibromyalgia. What, what did you think when you received that diagnosis? I, I believed it. I mean, my mother has it, so it seems, I mean, I... I had, you know, I had the all over body pain, you know, it's, it's the same. Um, you know, I had the all over body pain, the brain fog that, you know, it, it said allergies. It basically, it, it takes all the things that are Lyme and it, you know, sort of co-ops them as a, you know, and, and I had, did have one doctor say fibromyalgia is not a real thing. It's a wastebasket diagnosis. And so I saw so many doctors, I mean, and they all, a lot of them, they all either said fibromyalgia, um, autoimmune, or they gave me some weird ones too. So Vicki, now that this doctor dismissed your positive Lyme test, and, you know, unfortunately, that's, that's very common in the Lyme world, 
and diagnosed you with fibromyalgia. What were the next steps with this doctor? Um, well, this doctor was the one that found, that was when I found the, um, the Epstein-Barr. So I, I, I did continue to see this doctor before I knew that I had Lyme because she, she, did, she did find the Epstein-Barr, but then I stopped seeing her because she was just difficult and very disorganized. And I started going to rheumatologists because my primary care doctor said, oh, I think you have something autoimmune. So they tested me for Sjogren's, for lupus, for um, really just a whole bunch. And I, you know, I went to endocrinologists because um, I thought my, my thyroid was acting up. And uh, Vicky, do you think, do you think that the reactivation of the Epstein-Barr virus was just a result of the Lyme disease at the time, looking back absolutely. now? Yeah, looking back now, I think it was. Um, but I was really just going to every doctor possible because I was really trying to find an answer and none of them could give me one. And really, that, that doctor who denied my positive test, um, that, was pretty, that was pretty awful what she did, but she was also the only person that even tested me for Lyme. So talk to us more about some of these other misdiagnoses you received. It seems like from your pre-interview questionnaire, you had quite a few misdiagnoses, some of them which were just really out there. I had, um, okay, so one of the weirdest ones was I had a high level of this hormone called IGF-1, right? And an endocrinologist said that. And what it does, that, that could mean you have a pituitary tumor that causes this disease called acromegaly. And acromegaly is your bones start to grow when you're an adult, right? And you basically turn into a giant, you know, because... <laughs> And so she decided that since I had this high level of this hormone, maybe I had a pituitary tumor and that was what was causing all my pain because I was in so much pain all the time that maybe she thought my bones were growing, but I wasn't any bigger. I was the same size. So it didn't make any sense. And then she, I had a brain MRI and it was with contrast too. So that, that was pretty, I got pretty sick from that. And they didn't find the pituitary tumor. So they just, it, it ended up being like, something with my diet that I was eating that was causing, but it, it was just really weird that they were just reaching so far then. And they were reaching, they came up with these obscure diseases like acromegaly is pretty rare, you know, and nobody, still nobody suggested Lyme disease. So Vicki, can you just share with us, just so that we can have a context, how tall are you? And when is the last time you had grown prior to this diagnosis? I'm five foot seven and I, I five foot seven, you know, or five foot seven and three quarters, depending on how frizzy my hair is, you know, and <laughs> I've been that height. I've stayed that height. I haven't, you know, I haven't gotten bigger. Um, my hands are not, you know, it, it, it starts in your wrist. My wrists are not growing. I mean, I, I don't know where I, 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 I actually said that to the doctor. I was like, I, I'm not growing. Can you see that I'm not growing? And she's like, well, maybe you haven't started growing yet. And I was like, well, when am I, you know, maybe it's starting and you can't see it yet. It's not really taking, you know, so we have to check to see if you have this pituitary tumor. Um, and then after I got the MRI, the doctor was like, well, you know, it's, it, it could be a, the excess of that hormone from diet. And then I stopped eating goat yogurt and the test went down. I don't know if it's a goat yogurt, but that was one of the things I stopped. You know. so just, just to recap where we are right now, you had a I doctor test you for Lyme disease, which came back positive and yes. it was dismissed. And right. then you had another doctor diagnose you for a super rare condition, which is basically this gigantism disease where you grow yes. as an adult and continue to grow. Yes, but I wasn't growing. Outrageous. <laughs> yes, I thought so too. So talk to us about where your symptoms were at this point. And you mentioned you had full on body pain. So describe First, what this pain was like was it muscle pain was it joint pain was it nerve pain and what other symptoms were you experiencing at this time it was uh it was mostly like muscle joints and nerve oh and i had one other diagnosis um i did a cartoon about this there was a doctor who said maybe it's an autoimmune disease that only you have so which but anyway i'm just getting back to that but anyway so um i was going to answer your question about symptoms um Vicky, real quick, I just want to jump in before you go on to your symptoms here. So okay. as a side note, Rich and I are just huge, huge fans of yours. And we highly encourage everybody listening to go check you out on, you're on Facebook, I believe, and Instagram at Misdiagnosis. Is that your correct handle? Mm-hmm. Misdiagnosis. 
misdiagnoses with an E, right? Yeah, there are a lot of um, there there were a lot of it's misdiagnoses plural because misdiagnosis is someone else. It's a long story with like you know I wanted that domain name and I couldn't get it because someone had it already. But um, so it's misdiagnoses plural because I was misdiagnosed a lot. So and really and for those. For, the, for those listening, Vicky, I just want to say, as a chronic Lyme, and as you know, somebody who's been through things like you've described with autoimmune, like many of us Lymeys have, it, it does bring some comedy and laughter into a very difficult and hard disease. So we highly encourage people to go check you out because we just absolutely love your artwork. You are super talented, and we thank you for sharing that with the world to bring us some sort of comedic relief during these hard times. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I'm, I'm just, yeah, that was the purpose, to just give people a break from how awful it is. But uh, we'll, we'll continue on now. I'm sorry to interrupt that chunk, but we really wanted to make sure we, we told our audience about your, your really great graphics and, and art that you create. So can you go back to now again your symptoms and where they were at this time when you were getting misdiagnosed with all these crazy things? Um, well, you asked me about the pain. So I had like a lot of muscle pain, like fascia pain, um, joint pain, you know, it was just, um, and neurological just you know, numbness, peripheral neuropathy, weird feelings, like really weird neurological sensations. Like I still had the bad knee, which no one had, somehow no one had connected with the line. But, and then there was, I felt like there were like drops of water going through my knee. You know, I had like skin crawling. I mean, I had a, just a lot of things um, that just sounded autoimmune to these doctors. So, and Vicky, where was your head at at this point? So you had a lot of strange misdiagnoses. Did you believe any of them or were you open-minded and just sort of waiting to see where you got relief or were you just like, absolutely not, these are outrageous? Well, I was going from doctor to doctor. So I believe the allergy ones because when I, you know, those were real, but I believed, um, but the acromegaly, I thought it was actually ridiculous when she proposed it. And the doctor who said that maybe it was my own autoimmune disease that only I had that no one understood. He said, oh, we don't understand autoimmune diseases that well. Maybe this is just one that only you have and other people don't have it. So. Um, now, Vicki, you also had some other misdiagnoses like lupus and the fibromyalgia that you mentioned and some other autoimmune diseases that were more specific. Did you yes. accept those as being the root cause or were you always skeptical that those were actually your root cause of your, your symptoms? Well, what happened was they, they thought it was lupus and then they would test me and I was negative and they thought it was rheumatoid arthritis and they tested me. I was negative. They thought it was Sjogren's, you know, negative. Like, so I was, I didn't believe I was negative on all those. Um, so, like, I had now, a, so I had a positive um ANA but not well I have that now I have a positive ANA but even then I didn't even have a positive ANA I just uh and so, so that's that, that, they, it confused them because they were like what what's wrong with her why she doesn't she don't because I I was my body was acting like you know mixed connective tissue disorder or something like that yeah Vicky, that's I, think, I think that's a really important point to to focus on for a second so I myself and many other podcast guests that we've interviewed with Lyme disease have had a very high ANA titer on their blood work, but then they've tested negative for all the common autoimmune diseases. And they've been told, you have high autoimmune indicators, we don't know why. So do you think that that could just be a symptom or, or a side effect of Lyme disease? And many people are going down the autoimmune you know, track when really if they address some other issues pertaining to Lyme and, and their immune system and the bacteria, they could address those symptoms as well. Absolutely. I, I know someone like that um, who is being treated for an autoimmune disease and she had a positive Lyme test. So I've, I've met a lot of people like that, that they don't, you know, because they go to a very standard Western doctor and then, you know, the Western doctor believes the, if you don't have the five IgG bands, then the test doesn't count. And and they, they start treating for an autoimmune disease and then they do something like take steroids and then it just makes the Lyme worse. So, so interestingly, well, or, and, and not so uncommon, unfortunately, you got brought back to the Lyme arena by not a doctor, but by a friend, it sounds like. So can you walk us through that? You're, you're at the end of this sort of misdiagnosis, you know, merry-go-round and now Lyme gets brought back into the picture. So can you walk us through how that occurred? 
Well, I was at that point I had started seeing a um like an alternative, a regular alternative doctor, and she didn't think I had Lyme either. Um she she was treating me for like fibro and like histamine intolerance and you know, she wasn't really sure exactly what I nobody could figure me out. Like I basically I just went from doctor to doctor trying to figure myself trying and and I I mean you know, when, when one of them would just lose um, patience with me because they wouldn't be able to figure me out, I would just go to the next one, you know? And finally my friend, she ended up getting Lyme and she was in California and she was like, well, you, maybe you have Lyme disease. And I was like, no, no, I don't have that. I don't have that. I, I don't really go anywhere. I, I definitely don't have that. And she's like, well, did you, you know, she kept, she kept pushing it. And then she said, look through all your old tests. And I looked through one, I said, oh, well, this is, this is a Lyme test. And the doctor said it was negative, but this part says positive. What is that? You know, why would she? And then, then she explained the whole IgM and IgG thing to me. So was, then brought that test into the holistic doctor that I was seeing. And she's really surprised. And she was like, okay, well, you need to see someone Lyme literate now because I can't help you. This just seems so unbelievable that you've seen so many doctors, so many specialists. You were misdiagnosed with, with gigantism, and yet you had a positive Lyme diagnosis all along, and it took your friend to push you to look into this, to go back and pull out your old blood work, and then you brought it to your Lyme litter doctor or, or, or your doctor to say, this is what I believe I have, and then, oh, no, no, you got to go to a specialist. I mean, it just seems so outrageous, the story that yeah, you, your, was, your journey. It, it was six years. It was really, I mean, if they had started treating me the first year, I think I would have gotten, you know, I would have had much more progress, but just the six years of mystery patient, like I had, you know, I had friends saying like, you need Dr. House, or, you know, I, I just had, I, I was like that mystery patient that no one understands, you know, and I was just thinking like, there's got to be someone who knows what it is. So Vicky, now that you finally know you have Lyme disease because of the help of your friend and a test that was done a long time ago that your fibro doctor failed to recognize as a positive Lyme test, what were your next steps? Um, I was mad. <laughs> I was really mad because I had wasted six years and I just started antibiotics and I started, you know, reading about Lyme. I started following Lyme social media accounts. I started, you know, sort of getting involved. Like I started reading blogs and then, um, then I decided to start a blog because I wanted to write about my experiences because I had read other people's blogs writing about their experiences. And, um, but I decided I was going to make illustrated essays. So, but treatment wise, I mean, I, I just basically I was doing antibiotics and he started me on a whole bunch of supplements. And I also changed my thyroid. I think this was important because if you, if you have thyroid disease, um, so natural desiccated thyroid works a lot better than Synthroid. Like Synthroid is basically, it doesn't, you're, you're, you have the T3 hormone and Synthroid does nothing for that. It assumes that your body can convert T4, which is one hormone into T3. And a lot of people can't. So I switched to this nat natural desiccated thyroid and, um, and that helped also. So if you have Lyme and thyroid disease, Lyme, I have Hashimoto's disease, which is the autoimmune disease. So, you know, um, so basically like antibiotics, a lot of supplements, um, changing my diet, changing my thyroid meds, um, acupuncture. I just sort of embarked on this program of... Vicky, what diet changes specifically did this Lyme litter doctor ask you to implement? Well, he didn't really ask me. He wanted me to do, um, he wanted me to do, um, like I had been on Candida before that and he just wanted me to cut out gluten. Like, and, but I went a little bit crazier. I did autoimmune paleo for years. So I'm not quite sticking to it anymore. I'm, I'm more like regular paleo, but um, also autoimmune paleo definitely helped me. So in, in addition to the autoimmune paleo and, and you're, you know, cutting out gluten from this doctor's recommendation, you also and mentioned that you- I also cut out soy and I was allergic to dairy. I cut out dairy and I cut out autoimmune paleo. It's like no soy, no dairy, no, um, no grains, no gluten, no um, nightshade vegetables. And there's other stuff. There's like seed stuff also, but no nuts. Um, 
you also mentioned and, that you were, you were on a ton of supplements, Vicky. So do you, can you describe or do you recall any of the specific supplements that you were taking in addition to the antibiotics and your diet changes? Oh, God. You know, I don't even remember, but I was taking herbals for Lyme. And it does not say supplements, but I was taking like, you know, I went through all the herbs in addition, like, I, you know, like, uh, like Abart and um, like MCBB, those ones, and, um, you know, Cemento, um, Banderol, um, Pinella. He, he kind of mixed it up, my doctor. Like he make, he would mix some Cowden with um, some of the other ones. Um, Cause he didn't, he thought I had Bartonella, but he didn't think I had Babesia cause I didn't really have Babesia symptoms. Vicky, so, was, this at, was this at the same time as the oral antibiotics? that you were taking all of these herbs? Yes. And was it doxycycline that you were on or was it a combination of oral antibiotics? He switched them. So I was like doxy, um, I can't remember which I took one, but I took, these are the ones I took doxy, I took um, cefiroxime, I took, I took um, azithromycin, I took, uh, um, Having brain fog moment, um, no, but I for Fampin for a while. I did not do well on that, so I stopped that. That's and a hard I, one for many. It was I was brutal. I couldn't handle it. I took um and I took uh, what's the main one? I mean, the ones I did best on were doxy and azithromycin. I seemed like I just, you know, except um, the doxy eventually gave me a stomach ulcers. So but, before before we get into that, Vicky, what was it like? So you 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 started immediately with with this oral antibiotic regimen with your supplements and your diet changes, and then you would change up your oral antibiotics. What was that like for you when you first started the treatment protocol? Did you get better quickly? Did you feel worse before you got better? Did it take a while to feel anything? You know, walk us through that transition into your treatment protocol. Um, what was interesting is the doxy. The minute I started with doxy, I felt better. And then I mostly felt better on the antibiotics. And the only thing that really, really made me have a herx was rifampin. And it was like the worst thing ever. Like it was awful. I couldn't take it. But most of the other ones, I didn't, I didn't herx as much as other people did. Like I, I and, mostly felt better. It was interesting. And you, gr you gradually improved over the three-year window uh, up until the ulcer? Yeah, but I didn't improve to the point that I was cured. I improved to the point. But the thing is, I had been like almost bed bound. You know, I would walk around the block and that was enough, you know, for a couple of days. You know, I was completely just, um, you know, like I had to, when I got, I was so sensitive to these vibrations that when I got in a car, I, you know, I told you I had to, I had to have the cushion so I couldn't really go anywhere. So I was completely, I, I couldn't go anywhere. I couldn't do anything. I was just bed bound mostly. I mean, I, I only went out for doctor's appointments. Like I didn't. Um, so you, oh. you were, you were bed bound and you were really, really, really sick. So walk us through the improvement you were making with your symptoms. Now that you were on the antibiotics for the first three years that you were on the antibiotics, like give us an idea of what you started to do that you couldn't do before. Well, I just started, I was still only mostly going to doctor's appointments, but I was able to take the subway to go to the doctor's you know, and I was able to walk around eventually. And then I started, I went to a, an alternative physical therapy place and they had me doing, you know, so I was able to do physical therapy. So I was able to incorporate some exercise, um, very moderate exercise that was tailored to me and my injuries. Because in addition to the back, I have like an arm injury. I have like competitive strain injuries. So they tailored everything to me. And then I eventually graduated from the physical therapy to Pilates, but it's done by a physical therapist. So it's, you know, it's like specialty Pilates for injured people. But, you know, so I was able to get some mobility back. I was able to walk around. I was able to go places. I could socialize a little bit, but I, I wasn't, I wasn't who I was before, you know. And your pain was getting a little bit better. So your pain levels dropped a bit or were you, was your pain still at the same high level they it was dropped earlier. A lot. They dropped a lot because I, I didn't, when I, when I had the most pain, I didn't have any mobility at all. So I still had pain and I still just would injure from doing absolutely nothing, like a ridiculous thing. Like my knee would just twist and it would be, it would be like weeks. Um, and, you know, 
So, but it was still slowly improving. And I was just, you know, I never thought I'd say this, but the first time that I got on the subway, like I was able to go back on the subway, no one's happy to go on the subway, but I was really happy. I was like, oh, here I am. I'm getting, you know, I'm going somewhere on my own. I don't need this car with a pillow, you know. I, you know, there's rats, I don't care, you know, it's dirty, I don't care, like I'm going somewhere on my own again, and I'm independent, and I can, you know, move around and, you know. But that that's a sign of independence, and it's progress. So I think that for yeah. you, it was a major step forward in your healing journey, because you were able to take an independent step to be on the subway by yourself, and to know that it wasn't affecting you the way it was, was a, a real sign for you that you were you were advancing your health at that point, right? Yeah. Yeah. Just, just getting that, just being able to just do what I, just to be able to go somewhere, you know, like so, to, to show, to have, if I had a doctor's appointment or I had a PT or something, I could just show up there. I didn't have to, you know, I didn't require special transportation. I didn't. So Vicki, talk to us about the ulcer. So now you're three years in from your diagnosis. You're on a combination of oral antibiotics, herbs, supplements and these diet changes that have helped you gain a lot back you 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 weren't the person you were before but you've made a lot of progress now when you got this ulcer walk us through what happened next um i got a bunch of ulcers and my doctor said it was the doxy definitely because of where they were they were kind of esophageal ulcers and doxy kind of does that so at that point, he just switched me to, um, he just increased the Cemento and Banderol for a while. And then it so, seemed like, um, you know, like he just cut out the antibiotics at that point. Because it had been three years, so that was, I mean, so, you know, we just discussed it and my stomach just couldn't handle it anymore. So we switched to the herbals because I wasn't, I didn't really want to do IV because I have these skin allergies, right? So if you're putting like a port, you know, in your body and you're allergic to, like I'm allergic to some metals, I'm allergic to a bunch of things. So you then you have skin allergies and you're putting something in your body that's not going to go well. So, so I, was, I was nervous about IV. You just hit on a good point about your, your allergies. So because you had such a late stage Lyme diagnosis and because you were so sick, you started to develop food allergies, uh, chemical allergies, chemical sensitivities, and you've learned now that this has developed into MCAS, which is very common. They sort of go hand in hand with, with Lyme disease, the mast cell activation syndrome. So can you talk to us about how you learned you had MCAS and, and what that was like? That was really all on my own. I just read about it somewhere. And then um, I joined a forum and I still am really learning about it, but I brought it up with my doctor and, you know, um, he put me on, um, antihistamines and quercetin as a stabilizer and I'm still not, so I'm doing that. I'm taking vitamin C, I'm taking supplements, but the antihistamines helped me a lot. Um, and I'm thinking, and I also take, um, I take H1 blockers and H2 blockers. Um, and I'm thinking of adding another stabilizer possibly you know, to that. Um, but I, I was going to, I was supposed to start singular, but I didn't have a good reaction to that. So I stopped it, but I'm looking into, you know, once, um, now that the city's opening up and like, it's, you know, I'm considering going back to the doctor that I had started working with about to, to deal with, um, like mass cell stable, another mass cell stabilizer possibly. So. Would you say, Vicky, that your, your allergies in general have improved because of the, what you're taking? You just described some of your antihistamines and, and things like that. And also you're addressing the Lyme. So your, your herbal therapy, your, your strengthening your immune system. Do you think that your, your allergies have improved because of all the things that you've been doing over time? I think my allergic reactions have improved. Um, I don't know. I'm, I'm still avoiding all the stuff that I'm allergic to, but I, I don't have the same... You know, I'm not, not constantly having hives, you know, I'm not, um, I mean, I get hives sometimes, but I mean, I had one this morning, you know, and it was like, it's, it's really great. They're always on my face. So it's just a wonderful, you know, feeling, but um, not always, but so um, I would, I would just say my allergic symptoms are getting better, but I want to calm them down even more. 
because there's still more than I would like. But um, I don't, I mean, I'm, I'm lucky because I've seen some people with really severe mast cell and I think some of them have Lyme and they don't know it, to be honest, because some of the MCAS doctors are not um, really Lyme savvy. So it's possible they might have Lyme also. Vicki, talk to us about peptides. Uh, you noted in your interview questionnaire that you had some success with peptides, but they're now being discontinued by the FDA, so you're no longer, or no longer going to be able to use them, or you had to stop using them? Well, I was doing this one called BPC-157, which is Body Protective Compound 157, and my, my doctor gave it to me, and it's from a compound pharmacy, compounding pharmacy in Massachusetts. And he originally gave it to me for my stomach and acid reflux, but you can also inject it in other parts of your body, um, you know, so for healing and it, it's kind of, it did help with my stomach, but it's going to be available in pill form. But I don't know, I don't know what the FDA is doing with like why they're discontinuing um, the injectable one. But I mean, I'm going to just take the pill one, but I'm not sure there's not anything wrong with it. It's more of a I don't remember. It was something with the, something with how, uh, I don't, I don't remember. They didn't really explain it to me well, but there wasn't, it wasn't like a quality control issue or. Right. Well, we, we do know that the, um, you know, sometimes the FDA and the CDC will, will not always make the best decisions when it comes to treatment options, just because of, of not knowing enough about those things. So um, we totally understand that. But you also mentioned in your pre-interview questionnaire that you have used CBD oil and you're considering using potentially medical marijuana. So can you walk us through how CBD oils helped you and where are you at with your decision in moving forward with medical marijuana? Uh, CBD, I use those Charlotte's Web. Uh, it's pretty good. It's helped me. It's helped to sleep. It's helped with pain. Um, because I have skin allergies, I can't use creams. So I just rub the oil on like, because I, I actually, what you know, drawing is painful for my arm because of my tendonitis. So I, before I would draw, I would rub CBD oil on my arms. Um, so I, I like CBD oil. Um, medical marijuana, I'm a little nervous. Like I'm just going to see, I got a card. I'm going to see if I have a, bit, a negative reaction to it or not. Um, but I got my card and it came right before the lockdown. You know, so I didn't really get a chance to go to the dispensary and figure out which, 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 what I needed. So. So talk to us about low dose naltrexone. I know it's another thing that you were considering using to help with your pain and inflammation. So can you, have you tried it or is that something you're just still considering trying in the near future? Um, I was waiting for that doctor's office to open again, but I have it actually. I just got it. Um, and it's like my next thing that I'm going to try. Um, cause he's, I've been going to this doctor that doses it really, really slowly. So you start from a very, very low dose and then you build up slowly rather than giving you like a lot at once, you know? So. And, and now Trexone is one of those off brand uses, right? So it's not really meant for pain and inflammation, but they use it for that to help people with, with Lyme disease. Is that correct? Yes. Yes. I so figured it was worth try. I'm sorry. What was that? I figured it was worth a try. <laughs> you know, absolutely. And actually many of our past podcast guests have used it for the exact reason you described for pain and inflammation and have had success. So I think it's something certainly worth trying because everybody's different in how they respond to treatments with, with Lyme disease. And, and so one of the questions that I've been thinking this whole time, this entire interview with, with you, Vicki, is you look great. You sound great. It seems like you've come a long way. I mean, so just give us an assessment of how you're feeling today and where you are and what your thought process is moving forward. You have a couple of things you're, you're looking at moving forward with, with the medical marijuana, the low-dose naltrexone, but how are you today and where do you see yourself going in the next couple of months? Um, I'm, uh, that's a good question. I mean, I just, I just more just do what's right in front of me, you know? So it's like, okay, the next thing is the LDN. Okay, see if that works. Okay, the next thing, and you know, I like to do, because if I do too many things at once, I get overwhelmed. Um, so, you know, I kind of, I just like to do one thing at a time, you know, rather than try a whole bunch of things at once. So, 
like I, I know I have to investigate mold, you know, um, cause I think my previous apartment may have had mold, but I, I, I haven't really even gone there yet, you know? So it's, it's just a very, I have to, I, I'm a lot slower than other people. Cause a lot of people just like, they go just full on into something, but I just get overwhelmed very easily. So Vic, I'm now going to ask you about how your Lyme journey has been positive. What has been positive in the changes that have occurred in you as a consequence of being on a Lyme disease journey? I think, um, I think being able to blog and make cartoons was really the main positive um, because I had, I, I always drew things, but I didn't have a topic that I felt passionately about, you know, that would motivate me to draw. So, and would motivate me to write. And for some reason I ended up writing humorously about it, um, even though, you know, it's not funny, right? But like, <laughs> but there's a, you know, there's an element of absurdity in everything and this is certainly in Lyme. So I just, um, um, I was inspired a lot by Lyme movies when David Skidmore stuff, like he's amazing. So, I mean, I can't draw like that, but you know, he's what, but um, I just, uh, so that's when, you know, I just missed the, the missed that whole misdiagnosis thing was like a positive. It was a way for me to cope with the, all the, all the misery of having it. And then I thought, well, if I can give someone else a break from thinking about how awful this is all the time, and then also raise awareness. Like my best moment was someone was in a blog and they were trying to explain brain fog to someone and they just put a link to one of my cartoon, cartoon posts, you know, kind of like this, this will explain brain fog to you. Right. <laughs> so, um, so, you know, it was good cause I felt like I was, you know, educating and I was making people laugh and that's what I wanted to do. Like I wanted to, so that was good. And I think I just, became much more aware of disability rights and ableism. And I think being sick makes you a more empathic person. Um, I think I was an empathic person before, but I think now I'm more empathic than I was even. So let's talk about your, uh, your blog and your, uh, and your social media. And uh, as Matt has already shared with our listeners, we are both fanboys of yours. I mean, we, we, and, and because we, you know, we are, um, regularly uh, both uh, doing interviews and posting about this very painful disease. Um, and we find so much um, absurdity in, in the failures on the diagnostic level, the failures on the treatment level, the failures on the, um, on the educational level, and just so many different places. Um, but we find you capturing the essence of that in a very funny way. And you're the only one that seems to be doing that, at least in our world. Uh, you know, we're, 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 often belly laughing about one of your panels or another because they're so well done. And, and we also, you know, we also enjoy the different topics. And I actually want to talk to you about what has inspired you on some of the topics that you've, uh, you've created. So for example, one of, one of my favorite, and I think this may be a New York thing is shit limeys don't say what inspired you to create a series of panels uh, on, on the uh, topic of shit limeys don't say. Oh, well, I had, you know, that, that, that so just a popular thing, like shit, this people say, shit people, this people say. I think there is even a shit limey say, you know, but I was thinking like, well, what do we not say? You know what I mean? Like, so I was, you know, like, like uh, the one, the one where the person is saying like, I don't have enough supplements and they're buried in supplements. Like, you know, no, no limey says they don't, you know, Oh, I need more supplements. I don't have enough. You know, I haven't spent enough money on supplements, you know, give me some more, you know, <laughs> no one says that. Right. And then, um, what was the other one? Uh, you had the limey taking off her shoes and running in the grass. Oh yeah. Like, so I, I think, um, I mean, there are some people who, you know, I, no one says, yay, let me just run in the grass and be free. You know, no repellent, no, no tick check, nothing. Just, you know, I'm just going to take off my shoes and run in the grass, you know, and, but um, yeah, so, so that would be another thing that I think, you know, I mean, my limeys might still do that, but they would wear repellent and they would, you know, protect themselves. Well, another one of your, again, your topic areas that, that, cause us to have belly laughs on a regular occasion is the 
difficult relatives for Spoonies. You know, we hear oh. so much about, you know, these really awkward things that family members say to people who are suffering from chronic illness generally and suffering from Lyme disease. And you've come up with a whole bunch of really hilarious panels about these really awkward relatives saying things. So can you share what, what inspired you to come up with that topic area and some of the, um, some of the specific panels you created for that? Well, I had, um, um, I, I have a, you know, kind of a dysfunctional family and um, I have this aunt, um, she died, but she was the source of a lot of material. Um, so she was really just, um, she didn't say all the stuff that was in there, but she would have, you know what I mean? So <laughs> it was just like, I, I, I kind of like paraphrased and, you know, made up other things that she might've said, but like, so I just one you know, aunt and I just, you know, families, they're kind of, some people have really great supportive families. Like I've seen people and they'll have like their family will organize page, you know, a page for them. Like let's support our sister. But a lot of families just, uh, and not just the Lyme community, like the ME community also, because I seem to have connected with people there too, you know, where their relatives are just completely dismissive and they don't listen and they don't care. And they just, you know, and they just come at you like with like, um, Advice, right? I mean, yeah. you know, why haven't you tried yoga yet? Yeah, or just, or just, you know, like, like my mother still hasn't really figured it out. And she was like, I heard about that thing you have on TV. And I was like, <laughs> the thing, the thing. And I'm like, what thing? And then finally, I'm like, Lyme disease. And she's like, yes, that thing. <laughs> it's like, oh, my God. You know, well, I, she's elderly, so I, you know, I, I, but, but she's, she doesn't, you know, but, but it's just, um, and I've heard other people that they're, they have relatives like that too. Like they try to go to something and people make them, like people like to make you know, eat things that you can't eat. And then they like to tell you that why you should eat the thing that they, you can't eat, you know, that, that, that someone made it, someone spent a lot of time on it. They kind of guilt trip you about eating the thing that you can't eat. They say, why not just a little bit, you know, like, oh, I hear that gluten three is, is not real, you know, just, um, you, you know, they're just, you know, you have to, oh, I couldn't, I, the other one is like, oh, I couldn't live like you, you know, I, I, I if I, you know, um, oh, come on, live a little, like all the things that people say to you, if you, if you refuse food, refusing food is just a big thing, right? Cause like, it just, it just seems to be for all spoonies like people get very upset if you refuse <laughs> <laughs> let's talk about your your lime classic movies one that gave me a belly laugh was the saturday night fever on the first panel the second panel was raging bullseye and the third was coming to america I mean, it was just hilarious <laughs> thank you like those <laughs> but you have you have several others you remember any of the other panels that you put together on your classic lime movies Oh, I had the Blair Itch project <laughs> that he was like my reacting to. Um, and I had the big pill because um, it was just these people and it was like a very giant pill, like a building and then people <laughs> up with it. And then I had, um, I was trying to do ET and I ended up doing EBV, you know, for the Epstein bar. And that was the first thing, like, why was it phone home? Just, you know, please let it phone home and just, um, and then, uh what was the last one? Oh, um a, a spoon with a view instead of a room with a view. <laughs> and then I still had ideas for more, but I didn't get like there were still more movies and there were a couple of like TV shows that I was gonna spoof, like I was gonna do a lot. There, there were there were a couple that didn't make it in. Like there was like um Grease. I was gonna do Grease because like a lot of the things that we do are greasy, right? Like eating paleo food is greasy, and then like people get into like using coconut oil all the time. So it's gonna be like this person who would be like dripping, and then anyway, now I can't do it, but I but it didn't really work when I did Grease. So it was like I still have some ideas for other. So there, there are a lot of other very funny topics, but I, I, another one that we particularly enjoy is your Fifty Shades of Brain Fog. So you can share oh, with us what inspired that. Um, you know, like Fifty Shades of Grey, uh, that, that, but that, you know, the movies and the book, but it was just like, 
you know, why not 50? And then you just, just suddenly there was, it suddenly became mean like 50 shades of other things. So I was like, why not 50 shades of brain fog, right? So, you know, it was just, and I was actually going to do 50 brain fog cartoons. And, you know, but I still have some more ideas um, for those. But I, I don't know why, like, other people do standalone cartoons. Like, they do one cartoon. But I don't know why. I think it's maybe because I'm a blog cartoonist. I think in series. Like, I just think of a series and I do a bunch of things on the series. And then, and I think of more ideas in a series. And I just keep, I, I don't know why I think like that instead of, I've, I've done some things that are standalones, but more, more series, I think. But there's oh. so many things you could do with brain fog. Like there's so many, I still have like five more ideas of things to do with brain fog. You know, I hope that you guys are not sick of brain fog because there's going to be more brain fog. We we actually enjoy and look forward to all of your uh, holiday related uh, posts. You, uh, you <laughs> What you did, uh, I think it was like Merry Catmas and uh, yeah, Yeah, that was going off the spoonie trail a little bit because I was trying to do like I did Santa Claus with brain fog, and then um, I did uh, I did um, Festivus, I did a Festivus post, but I didn't put in all the cartoons and my Instagram. And then I did I'm, I'm working on a Hanukkah, and then I did like Valentine, I like doing like. (laughs) <laughs> disease-themed holidays. It's <laughs> <laughs> the, the Valentine's Day were hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> so um, let me take you to the last part of our podcast, which is to um, ask you for some additional help. In addition to bringing, uh, and very brilliantly and tastefully bringing some humor to the absurdity of Lyme disease, and I guess someone who is five foot seven and diagnosed with giantism is, uh, is somebody who, would, <laughs> who would, would be the perfect candidate for finding absurdity and, um, in this, uh, in this uh, community. Um, can you share with us what you would do if tomorrow somebody that you cared about walked in and said, hey, um, I have a tick biting man in my leg. What would you do to prevent them from having to go through all the challenges that you've had to go through as a person who has been suffering from Lyme disease? Oh God. First I would tell them, you know, to take it out with the straight tweezer and not to twist it. And then I would probably like be like Googling on ILAS and Project Lyme and all these other sites, you know, and, and then I would tell them to send it to uh, Tick Encounter or your person that you, you know, your microbiologist. Yeah. And any, you know, you know, I tell, tell them to save the tick, send it for testing. Cause I actually, I, my physical therapist had a tick. Um, and actually, it wasn't biting her, but it was in her bed. And she didn't, she, she flushed it. And I was like, why don't you send it for testing? Why didn't you call me immediately? You you know, it's like, so, um, and then I would just really aggressively nag them until they went to a doctor that I thought was good for them. Um, You know, like if they went to their primary and they said, because I did actually have a friend who got bitten and you know, he was very, very skeptical and I aggressively nagged and he didn't go to a Lyme literate doctor. He ended up just, but, but he did get his, the regular doctor to just extend the doxycycline like a long time. So at least, at least there was that. So basically, you know, I just become like, you know, the word like a nudge, right? So I just, you know, like I, because that's how I got diagnosed because someone, you know, she was very persistent and I was like, no, 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 I don't think I have that. Cause I, you know, I kind of drank the Western medicine Kool-Aid about Lyme, you know, so I didn't really, I don't like to use that expression, but it was, you know, I would, I had absorbed what my doctors had said. And so now I feel that I have to nag other people, you know, that's what. <laughs> so we have, as you know, Vicki, we have a tick bite blueprint uh, that we've been developing over time. And it's been pretty stable, meaning we haven't been making many additions to it until recently when Matt and I would, had gotten bitten in the last uh, two weeks. But now we have a new step in the tick bite uh, blueprint, which is you have to become a nudge. Because right. if, you're not, if you're not nudging, uh, if you, so you have to find your family nudge to make sure that you're staying on top of all the steps you have to take so you don't get Lyme disease. So that's a very right. important part of <laughs> a new addition. So I want to thank you for so much of what you do. I love your, uh, your social media. I, I, I literally have belly laughs on a regular basis. And wow. now I, 
and I, and I want to thank you. I want to thank you uh, for making the latest contribution to the Tick by Blueprint, which is find a nudge. Thank you for listening to the Tick Bootcamp interview with our guest, Vicky Novinsky. To our listeners, we have a call to action. First, if you'd like to learn more about the absurdity of Lyme disease and about Vicky Novinsky's Lyme disease journey, please visit our Instagram page at M-I-S-S underscore diagnosis, D-I-A-G-N-O-S-E-S. Second, if you enjoyed this episode of the Tick Bootcamp podcast, please share it with your friends by using the social media buttons you see at the bottom of the post. Third, Tick Bootcamp has created a Tick by Blueprint that has been inspired by the information that has been provided by past podcast guests. We urge you to visit our website at www.tickbootcamp.com to view the blueprint. Please note we would appreciate any input or improvements you would like to offer to us. Fourth, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Podcasts, or Spotify to get your automatic episode updates of our Thick Bootcamp podcast. And finally, please take a minute to leave us an honest review and rating on iTunes and or our website. Thank you for listening.